0: Here we are in, in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time, and that's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would, have rem- it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. You know, I've, I've shared with people on occasion who have said to me, as I've shared the Lord with them, you know, I don't think that God... A- all-loving God would send anyone to hell. And I think that that's a common view. I don't know what you do with this portion then. I don't know what's done with this portion. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of His miracles were done because they did not repent. Repent. Jesus comes and He does things in our life. There is truth spoken into our lives. And if we do not repent, Jesus says, Woe to you. This is real business. There are real things going on here. Jesus says to Chorazin and Bethsaida that if Tyre and Sidon had seen these miracles, they would have repented long ago. And then he says to them, he says to Capernaum, he says that if Sodom had seen what you have seen, it would have remained to this day. Remember, Sodom was that city where fire and brimstone came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the cities no longer existed when God's wrath got done with those cities. And he said, it would have remained to this day. Remember, these were destroyed 2,000 years earlier. 2,000 years earlier. These were destroyed in the time of Abraham. And Jesus said, they would have remained. This city, Sodom, would have have been remaining these 2,000 years had they seen what you have seen. They would have remained because they would have repented. So the implication here is that you can have a city, you can have an entity that ceases to exist because of disobedience to God. He says that city would have remained to this day. No longer remains, he says. But it would have remained these 2,000 years. Had they seen what you see? To whom much is given, much is expected. Let's look in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 40. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their ration at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the slaves will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes, But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but a few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. To us who have been given the opportunity to hear again and again the truth of God and to not act upon it, woe to us, I mean, these are pretty strong words. Jesus says that if there is one who thinks that his master has gone away for some time and he begins not to walk rightly, but to treat others harshly, to eat and to drink and to get drunk, says the master will come on a day that he doesn't expect and will cut him in pieces. And will assign him a place with the unbelievers. How much more vivid could Jesus be? How much more frank could the man be? What would you like him to say? Well, Jesus, you know, you never really told me very clearly that this is going to happen. Jesus says, when the master comes, he will cut him in pieces. And assign Him a place with unbelievers. To whom much is given, much is expected. If you don't know the Lord, you must know the Lord. And if you know the Lord, you must serve Him. There is really powerful words here. There are really powerful words here being spoken by Jesus. And He says, To the one who Jesus has set apart to serve Him, he will assign him a place with unbelievers after he has cut him up. He says, but those who never heard, those who never had the opportunity to hear, will only receive but a small flogging in comparison. To whom much is given, much is expected. And this is why I try to drive the point home. If you know him, you you must serve Him. If you know Jesus, He calls us to service to Him. It is not good enough to just know and do nothing with it. It is not good enough to just say, I believe and do nothing with it. We must be in service to our Master. Jesus spoke some strong words. He says to Him, who much is given, much is expected. Jesus has given us in this society far more ability to hear and to, to receive things from Him than in many other societies. And this is just a snapshot in time of human history that He has given us the opportunity to hear and to serve Him without fear Of reprisals from the government without fear of being killed. He has opened for us a door, a window in human history. And how much have we been given? So much is expected of us. But maybe I should say no more because I certainly don't want to disrupt anybody. It might hurt somebody's feelings. We wouldn't want anybody's feelings to be hurt. Because the the worst thing you can do is ever offend somebody. What about Jesus' words? He's going to come and cut you up. And assign you a place with unbelievers. I mean, this is the all-loving God speaking these things. This is what He says. Okay, let's look back in Matthew. Chapter 12. Matthew chapter 11. So he speaks very clearly in verse 24 of chapter 11. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. When we behold the miracles of God and we deny them and we continue to deny the truth, we really need to be careful. I think Jesus was really targeting that generation, and we're going to see more of that in chapter 12. There is application to our generation. But these words He was saying specifically, He had done so many miracles in this place, and He says it's going to be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And judgment came upon that city, the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And it was a terrible day for every one of the inhabitants. Verse 25, and at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know the Father if you know the Son, and if the Son has will to reveal Him to you. You know, we have a a missionary friend from from the church here who has gone to the Middle East and, and is a missionary over there, and she writes back, and she writes to me, she says, this place is so dark there is such wickedness that goes on here and such despair and deception. Every dealing with people, there is despair and deception. Where the Son is denied, there is great despair and deception. We have a treasure, an absolute treasure, in the truth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that... All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. We cannot know God without the Son. We cannot know God without the Son. We can know a lot about God, but we cannot know God without the Son. I come from a Jewish background, And I remember going to the synagogue And I never, never felt as if I knew God Jews know a lot about God But I as a Jew Speaking for myself Never felt that I knew God Until Jesus made God clear in my life And on that day that I asked Jesus to forgive me And to come into my life From that moment I felt a fellowship with God that I never knew we have an absolute treasure in Jesus Christ who reveals to us God the Father. I have a friend who is a missionary, a dear friend and his wife who are missionaries in Israel. And he is a Jew. And he deals with many Jews who are uh, um, Orthodox Jews. And they don't all know that he is a believer in Jesus Christ. And he talks to them a lot about God and Many of them say to Him, You know, you really know this stuff. We know about it, but you really know it. And you really practice it. And speaking of their own rabbis, they say, They talk about it, but you really know this stuff. They see a difference in Him. The Son reveals to us the Father. In Jesus Christ, He reveals everything. You cannot get it without Jesus. Without Him, there is no other way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Me. How's that for sounding pretty dogmatic? Oh, well, you don't really mean that, do you? You know, there are many ways to God. Some people go this way, and some people go that way. But it's all the same God. It's not the same God. You know, I I have some Muslim friends who will say to me, oh, you know, in the small things we're different, but fundamentally in the big things we're the same. And I say, no, you couldn't be more wrong. In the small things, we might do some things that are the same. But in the big things, we're very different. For example, my God has a son named Jesus. Your God has no son He does not beget. How much different could that be in the fundamental part? It's really quite different. And it is the Son who reveals the Father. You will see Christianity in the main and important foundational points is clearly very different. And Jesus speaks quite emphatically... I am the way the truth and the life in John 14:6 and no one comes to the Father but through me there is no other way. He's pretty dogmatic because that's something about the truth. The truth has a specific way and he says it. He says I reveal the Father. You want to know the Father? Get to know the Son. Get to know His ways, His attitudes. He walked here on this earth. He said things. He spoke things. He imaged for us the very life of the Father. Philip says to Him, Show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said to him, I've been with you so long, Philip, and you haven't recognized Me? You're looking at Him. When you look at the Son, you see the Father. And that is what He says, because the Son and the Father are one. And then He goes on to say, He says, You've revealed these things to infants, yet you've hidden them from the wise and intelligent. There is so much out there that people teach, but they don't know God. You know, the, the professors in the religion department have talked to me on several occasions, and it really bothers them that I speak scriptural truths to students. They say, you have no training in this. You have all the training, but nobody comes. I wonder what the problem is. And and they think, you know, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants and I'm throwing these things out there. I said, I'm just speaking what the scriptures say. And I show them these scriptures where it says the Pharisees were upset and livid because of The masses were coming to Jesus, and Jesus had no formal training. And it's the same thing. There are words that they speak, but there is no life. I don't know if you've ever attended these religion classes. I did in college. I took a class in Christianity thinking that, well, I'm going to learn something. But there was no life. There was no life. And Jesus said, you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and you reveal them to infants. When we come to Jesus on our knees and we say, Lord, speak to me and teach me. You know what happens? Heaven and earth moves for God to just drill things right into your mind and reveal truth to you and begin to conform you to the ways of Jesus. And if your heart doesn't condemn you, your heart is dead. And it needs life. And the closer you get to God, the more you see you need Him. One woman said to one preacher, Oh, I wish I had a heart like yours. And he said to the woman, If you had a heart like mine, you would long to have a different heart. Because the more you get to know God, the more your own heart's wickedness is absolutely revealed to you. And the more you cry out to God, God, save me, a sinner. God, the thoughts that run through my mind. God, help me. Jesus said, you reveal these things to infants. And I praise you for that, Father, because you've held it from the wise and intelligent and revealed it to infants who come and who submit themselves to you. And then He says in verse 28, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, these are just tremendous words. He says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is the prescription for serving Jesus. This is what He says. Come to me. The first thing we must do is come to Him. You will become very weary very quickly in service to God if you don't come to Him. It starts with learning to come before Jesus. How simple could it be? We come before Him. Jesus said you must daily come for manna because manna on the second day will begin to rot. You must daily come for manna. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says the second thing, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, we carry the burdens of Jesus. We take this yoke that we carry of cares for the things of the world, and we begin to shed it. And we take on the cares of Jesus. And it becomes a very different and far more pleasure-filled life when we carry the burden of Jesus differently than our own own burdens. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So we're to learn from Him. If we don't come before Him, there will be no substantive difference between us and an unbeliever. There really will not be. And that's why when we look in the church around us and we say, where is the difference? It doesn't manifest itself so clearly. Because the vast majority of believers never come to Jesus. They never spend any time with Him. It's just a fact. They never spend any time with Him. And you know what? It shows. It really shows. Because there is no substantive difference. And it happens in my life, and it will happen in your life. If we don't spend time with Jesus, we become to look like the world. And then He says, you have to take My yoke upon you. You carry His concerns. Well, Jesus, what's your concern? You know, he has this enormous concern for other people. And I will tell you that my wife has this enormous concern for other people just naturally within her heart. And I have just the opposite. You want to know what my heart is naturally? I don't care about anybody else. That's my natural heart. That is my natural state. And so I have to continually cry out to God... Lord, change my heart. Because He has this enormous concern for others. And He says, Take My yoke upon you. As you begin to give your life for others, and give your time, your money, and your interests for others, He says, Then you are taking on My yoke. And then you will experience new life. And you will look very different than people of the world. And then he says, and learn from me. That means what Jesus does, we do. What the apostles did, we do. Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. What we see the apostles and Jesus having done, we do. We learn from Him. And then he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, God did not have to display Himself as gentle and humble to us. He did not. He is Master and Lord. He could have displayed Himself very harshly. And then He called His disciples and He said to them, You know, the rulers of the world lord it over their subjects. But it is not to be that way with you. He said, If you want to be great, you must learn to serve. For the greatest will become a servant. And you're like, Huh? This is not normal. God did not have to come and display himself as a servant who would die for the sins of the world. Yet he did. And he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Now he spoke some very strong words. Remember. Just above, He had spoken, woe to you. Just above, in some other portions we had read, He said, you know, the master's is going to come and cut you up. But He says, in His very essence, He is gentle and humble. And then He says, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. There is a natural way that is good and right to take on the work of the Lord. And then there is another way that we can try to take on the work of the Lord and totally fail. Let me give you an example of failure from my own life. When I was in graduate school, I was newly married, and I served the Lord very, very strongly. I would go out all the time sharing my faith, I would and, and I would run, run these... Um, ministries where we would go into the student center and go knocking on doors sharing our faith and i had two leaders meetings early in the morning and then i would have another meeting with other people that i was trying to disciple and then i would have a weekly prayer meeting and by the way i was doing a phd and i was newly married and i was just absolutely getting wiped out to this extent that I would go and knock on the door to share Christ with somebody and they'd invite me in and I'd see them in their home sitting there watching TV and I'd begin to share the Lord with them. And I will be honest with you, the thought that would go through my mind and it is, do I really want to see them converted and go from this place of rest where they can just sit down and watch a TV program to a life like mine where I am utterly exhausted, constantly, spiritually exhausted, physically exhausted, in my service to God. That picture of serving is not the picture that we see of Jesus. We don't see Jesus scurrying around, thinking, I have to do this, I have to do this, and i got to get this done. This. He had a very different life. He was constantly sharing the life of the Father. But there was an attitude in His sharing where you don't see great unrest, where you don't see constant uneasiness. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that does not mean that we don't carry a tremendous desire in our heart to see people converted, that we don't burn with a fire and a passion, But what it does mean is that we don't fall into the trap that I was in. Where I was trying to serve God so much that I had no joy in service anymore. I had no joy in work anymore. To the extent that, do I really want to see this person saved so they can go from this place of rest to running about like me, like a chicken with my head cut off? Jesus has a place of rest and a place of balance for all of us. The vast majority of Christians do almost nothing in their service to the Lord. So they're not near the extreme that I I was in. Yet I share it with you because there are some that at times get into that extreme where they are spiritually and physically utterly wiped out. That may happen for a season. You come back from some great mission experience. You may be spiritually wiped out. And He brings you to a time now of refreshing. But it is not a constant thing. Because He says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is so refreshing for me is to come before the Lord in the morning and to say, Lord, fill me and empower me this day. And go figure God answers that prayer. For some reason, God doesn't want me to sit there totally wiped out during the day, feeling spiritually wiped out. When I ask of Him, He fills me. And this is what you can bank on. You come to God and ask Him, fall on your knees, open the Bible and say, Lord, as I read this this morning, speak to my heart this day and fill me. You give it a try. You do it for a week and tell me if your life isn't different. And then spend 30 minutes reading the Word of God and saying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, this verse, I'm not sure I understand it. Speak to me something in my own life about this. About this verse. Speak into my life and watch God begin to speak in your life. And He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Your soul will find rest. And even in the midst of exams and school and writing and all the things you have to do, your soul can find rest in Him. And people will look at you and they'll say, how do you do all that you do? And it's because Jesus is giving rest to your soul. Many people ask you, how do you do all of this and all of that? I "I don't know. But I start my morning asking God to fill me. And to help me. And he does. And plus, he will give you this enormous wisdom to know what to do so that you can even get more done. In other words, you learn how to build teams around you. He gives you insight on, on, on building things. So, so I have these other faculty members. They come to me. How do you, how do, you do all of this? And so, well, you, you know, One of the secrets that you have to do is you have to build a team around you that can get you to the next level. And you, you, you work with people so that they can carry this and they do that. And you know what happens is I get all these, these, these students working in the lab and writing papers and this lab manager writing papers and writing proposals and, and people think it's all me. And I, I get all this glory for other people's work. And my students do all this work and guess what? My name gets on the paper. <laughs> and people think I've done all this work. But well, it's really the students. Like, oh, come on. It's a... And I could even tell them, no, it was really the students, and they don't believe it. They think it was me. And, and uh, you know, so there's this list of names on the paper, my name and, and like five students. Nobody remembers the student's name. They only remember my name. <laughs> That's just the way the system works. You learn how to serve God. You learn how to serve God. And God will even teach you things like how to build people around you, build teams around you. And as you focus in on people, you will see again and again how Jesus drives home the point that the people are the most important things around. Let me give you an example. In chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples became hungry, and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Him, Look, your disciples do what's not lawful on the Sabbath. But He said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat for those uh, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than, than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire Compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. There was no law about picking grains and eating them on the Sabbath day. That was a Mishnaic law. Remember, we covered that. That was a law of the Pharisees. The disciples were not breaking the 613 commandments of Moses. You were not supposed to winnow on the Sabbath day. In other words, you were not supposed to thresh and winnow grain on the Sabbath day, but you were to rest. But that is very different, Jesus says, than walking through a grain field, happening to be hungry, picking a head of grain and going like this and eating the grain. He says, this is a very different thing. These guys are just feeding themselves on the Sabbath day as they're walking through the grain field. He says, let me show you from the scriptures. And he... Talks about how David had gone into the temple and had eaten consecrated bread and served it to the men who were with him because he was hungry. Even the bread that was consecrated and was for the priests alone, when David was hungry, God said, It's okay, you can eat. David wasn't struck dead. And Jesus calls that example to their remembrance. And he says, You know what? The priests work on the Sabbath day, don't they? And they're innocent. He says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, in verse 7. And you would not have condemned the innocent. When you learn to put people first, you can get so much more. My constant trying to get through to the people who work around me is, look, the value of this person is greater. If we can get them to play as a member of our team, it is much better than cutting them off. Try to get them to be members of the team. Now, at some point, there can be such rebellion that you have to fire somebody and deal with them. But, you know, I'll I'll say, look, the value of the person is greater. Let's try to bring them in to be part of the team. This is exactly what Jesus recognized. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. He says, these are my twelve disciples. We're just walking through a grain field. Will you just back off of them? Verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into the synagogue. And a man was there who had a withered hand. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And if you look, actually, in, 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 in uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says that they set this thing up. They brought in a man with a withered hand so that they would see if Jesus would heal a man on the Sabbath so that they could accuse Him of working on the Sabbath. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 6, it talks about the same thing, but Luke points out that the man's hand was his right hand because Luke was a physician and Luke constantly was pointing out specific things about illnesses that Jesus healed. And he he named the hand. Don't physicians usually like to figure out which hand it is that they got to work on, right? So they don't amputate the wrong hand, for example. (laughs) Oh, got the wrong one there. Well, okay, let's take the other one now. Can't do that. Luke points out it was his right hand. But this was a setup. It says in, in verse 10, so that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. You see how hard man's heart can become when you put things above people They conspired to kill Jesus because He healed a a withered hand of a man who was in torment because his hand was withered. Instead of glorifying God, they wanted to kill Jesus. And this is what happens when we put things before people. When we put money before people. When we put time before people. When we put our reputations before people. Jesus said, people are the most important thing you can deal with. Look in in Mark chapter 3. Mark picks out some other things here that were going on in in this same portion. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5. And looking around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. I mean, th- this Pharisees working with the Herodians were really strange bedfellows. I mean, the Pharisees were these Jews. The Herodians were folks that followed Herod, that, that uh, uh, you know, said, you know, Her- Herod's a good guy. And they were conspiring together how to kill Jesus. And it, and it says that, that in verse 5, after looking around them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. You want to know what got Jesus angry? I, mean, I, I thought Jesus was a sweet guy. No, He got angry. Jesus did never get angry. This is right here. He was angry. He was angry... At the way they treated other people. At their view of other people. Their view of a hurting man. You see how different God's view is than people of the world? And remember, this is a man. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. This is a man who was in his thirties, who could heal the sick, who could raise the dead, who could make a man who was born blind see, who had people who would gladly try to make him king, and yet he had an attitude that cared about people. You know, the easiest way to stop caring about people is have a very successful career and a very successful life, and you become really, really ugly. Because the sin of pride starts to well up. And if you haven't seen it, you will see it. You will see really nice guys, and when they first come to work for a company, they're really nice. And you give them ten years... And now they're the CTO or the COO of the company. And boy, are they ugly. And you will see it, if you haven't yet, you will see it in your own heart. Because it is constantly exposed to me. In my own heart. The higher your rank, the more it will be exposed. And this, to me, nails home the deity of Jesus. Because only, only God could have lived free. Of this sort of pride. Being able to do what he was able to do. And Jesus remained pure and loving toward others. This attitude only comes from God. Because when someone is exalted, the sin of pride sneaks in and it is so ugly. And right across the forehead is written, ugly, ugly, ugly. And everyone else sees it. Except yourself except ourselves. And Jesus remained caring about others. And He says, I want you to learn compassion rather than sacrifice. I want you to learn compassion. May the Lord keep you compassionate. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. Lord, I thank You that You remain compassionate. And that when we stumble, Your compassions and Your mercies remain. Father, I pray that You would work in these young people's lives, as many of them will excel in their careers and do very well, and become wealthy and powerful, and placed in positions that they'll be over others. Father, I pray that You would remind them of this, where Jesus told the Pharisees, just back off, You desire compassion. You desire mercies. Father, I pray that they would remember this and as a result they would be different kind of people. And Father, I pray that that if there be anybody here that doesn't know You, that they would take this Word seriously. That there is an end. There is a destruction that can come by seeing the very things of God and hearing of these things and not acting on them. And Father, I pray for these believers that You take them and give them lives of service to You. And You cause them to have that balance. That they would be able to enjoy their families while serving You. That they would be able to learn that Your yoke is easy and Your burden is light. And they would achieve this by carrying out exactly what You said, by coming to You. By taking on Your yoke and by learning from You, for You are gentle and humble in heart and that they would find rest for their souls. And Lord, I commit their hearts to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.